The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week. Hello and welcome to the KM Community Podcast. It's Christmas Eve and many of us are rushing around doing our last minute bits of Christmas shopping, driving across the country to see our families and writing that sweet out of office message. Bishop Rose Hudson Wilkin took up her position as the Bishop of Dover just two weeks ago, so I took the opportunity to sit down with her to have a conversation about the role of the church during this time of year, her new position as Bishop, and ask her for her Christmas message to communities across Kent. The KM Community Podcast. Bishop Rose, welcome to the KM Community Podcast. Thank you. Um, Congratulations on your new position. Uh, how's How's the first month been? It's been fabulous. Um, I have done an ordination, two confirmations, opened a new school, um, been to a Christmas tree festival, and I've just been seeing people, you know, services here at the cathedral. Um, yes, it's been, it's been terrific. People have been very warm and welcoming, and uh, it's just... I'm still on cloud nine, I should say, from my consecration and installation. So great. You come in at maybe the busiest time of the year, <laughs> yes. possibly in the Christian calendar, right? <laughs> this is, it's a yes. busy time, so you must be kind of, you must yes. hit the ground running. And really oh, absolutely, you have to. Although it's interesting, someone mentioned about hitting the ground kneeling. <laughs> and I liked that because it's a reminder that in the busyness of this all, that it is important that prayer is still the heartbeat of all that we do and all that I do. Do you think that sometimes gets lost in the holiday season because there's just so many things and so many events going on? I think we have to consciously remind ourselves about why we are, who we are, and and what we're meant to be um, as the people of God. So um, I noticed traveling along um, between here and London, this massive queue which stretches way back and then you realize that it's going to blue water and that's what the queue is about and a little part of me just says, thank you God that I'm not in that queue. Um, you know, because, you know, we, we've got to ask what are our priorities and uh, for me, prayer being at the root will often dictate the directions that one goes in. Mm. I would say as well, someone who has lived in Kent all their lives, don't go anywhere near Blue Water for the next month at least, because it is a nightmare. <sighs> yes, um, I can imagine. For some of our listeners, they might not quite understand how kind of dioceses work and how your mm. position works. So what are your responsibilities day to day? So I am the Bishop of Dover, and uh, the Archbishop is the actual bishop for the Diocese of Canterbury. Um, But at my service of installation, which was a wonderful service in the cathedral at the end of November, the archbishop delegates his authority to me to look after, in effect, the whole Diocese of Canterbury, which includes Dover and Ramsgate and Margate and Thanet and Faversham and everywhere in the diocese. So I am the archbishop's hands and feet. And uh, yes, and voice. 
when he's not here, mm. looking after the diocese on his behalf. And there's a lot of that, a lot of that role itself as the diocese about outreach and kind of working with communities. How, do, how does those everyday things work? Well, the everyday thing has first, again, it starts with prayer, praying for the people that we are called to serve and be amongst. There are various services, whether they be confirmation services of those who are affirming their faith and their belief in God. Um, their ordination services to be held for those who are new ministers. There's a general oversight of the clergy in the diocese and, uh, and the, the responsibilities that they too have for their congregations. And in effect, I share in that responsibility too for the, the people of God, well, for the diocese as a whole. And what is interesting is we're not just talking about people who worship in our churches, because one of the advantages of being the Church of England is that we are responsible for the whole cure of souls. And so we, we, know, we do not distinguish and say, well, you belong to my denomination or you come to my church. We are there for all the people. And that means the homeless people on our streets. That means those who are struggling with uh, family life. That means those who have no way of feeding their families. You know, we are interested in that. And the reason we're interested in that is because God is interested in that too. Um, you, you may know that I've come from being a chaplain in Parliament. My title was chaplain to the Speaker of the House of Commons. And people would often say to me, politics, what do you, what do you want to be involved in politics for? And I have to remind them that when I read scripture, scripture tells me that I need to be involved that God is interested in people's daily lives. So we have somehow taken it and taken faith to be this little holy thing. And this holy thing is just for this day in the week. And, and, and we get so worked up about whether people genuflect or whether they make the sign of the cross or whether they do this holy thing or that. God's not interested in that. You know, the rituals, if you recall in scripture, the Pharisees are getting quite worked up because the disciples didn't wash their hands at the appropriate time before, you know, or they did something on the Sabbath. For goodness sake, we can't do that. God is not interested in that. But what we are told that God is interested in, he is interested in whether those who are most vulnerable in our society are cared for. God is interested in whether Love overflows, not just to the people who look like us, not just to the people who are our blood relations, but for God so loved the world. And we, as Christians, and I too, as a Christian leader, we have got to pattern that interest that God has in humanity and their lives. And, and, and the other thing is also, I think we often put things in a little box 
that says this box is church or faith, this box is work, this box is play, this box is family. And, and actually, again, when you read scripture, you get a sense of something much more holistic and not separated out in little boxes, but our lives are intertwined and we are interdependent with one another. And it's interesting what you say as well when you talk about wanting to be able to support the most vulnerable people and the people that really need it. Um, on this podcast, actually, about a month ago, um, obviously it was Interfaith Week, so we invited on um, someone from um, someone from St Mark's Church in Gillingham. Uh, we invited on someone of Jewish faith and someone um, of, of Muslim faith as well. And um, what was so interesting to talk about was that it was almost putting aside some of the things that make people different in order to work for a common good. And it was always about supporting those vulnerable people. Yes, yes. Do you think it's about um, almost not reassessing, but sort of making people rethink about the role of faith in, in everyday life? Well, I happen to believe that faith is who we are. And if faith is who we are, then we can't leave it behind. It's not like carrying an umbrella on a wet day and then it's dry so we don't need it. Uh, and so we take that with us. Faith needs to inform our daily lives. Every time we go through the door, we bring that with us. And that should inform us. It should inform us in terms of how we relate to one another, how we treat one another. One of the things I do when I've baptized children, I remind the parents and the godparents that the newly baptized needs to learn what faith means and the importance of that. And they will learn it not by the parents and godparents sitting the child down and giving the child instructions, but actually by them living it. So that child needs to see love in action. That child needs to see forgiveness in action. That child needs to see compassion and mercy and justice in action. And then the child will know. And it is our failure, I think, to do this that has created the sort of them and us, um, which is contrary to scriptures and contrary to real faith. Do you think that goes between sort of sacred and secular as well, and people that don't have faith and people that do have faith? And you think sometimes that it's difficult to, to marry those things together? I, I actually, and perhaps it is because I am a woman of African Caribbean origin, I don't demarcate secular and religious in, in the same way that I think those of Eurocentric um, uh, heritage does. Um, because I see, it begins for me that God created the world, so it all belongs to him in any case. And so I have been given a responsibility to care for the people and the place, the environment, etc., around me, because this is God's. Um, and, and so from that perspective, I don't see it, that block over there as secular, you know. Um, you know, so sometimes people in the past have said, this is sacred music and this is 
you know, music that belongs to the devil. No, the devil does not have any music. This is God's, you know, it is that gift that has been given. It doesn't mean that we sometimes don't use our gifts incorrectly. Um, in the same way that we sometimes use our love, what we think is love, incorrectly. So it, it all belongs for me, and, and that's the prism that I see through. And, and, and that then enables me to respond accordingly. And working with people uh, who aren't of faith, I guess that's, that may be the challenge, and, and the challenge that I that came up a few times when we, were, when we were doing Interfaith Week and we had a number of different features was um, how do you reach out and have conversations with people that aren't of faith? And it, because your worldview is so different, does that make that really hard to, to have conversations about kind of the nature of looking after oneself and things like that? No, it shouldn't, because we share a common humanity. Even those, and there are those who will say, whoa, you know, they see me coming in my dog color, whoa, um, I don't do religion or I don't believe. And uh, I love to say to them, man is a religious animal. You know, there's that wonderful passage about um, finding our rest, or is it one of the early fathers, that we are restless until we find our rest in God, as it were. So I think man is a religious animal. And what do you think that crowd is? What's the football club that is supported here in, in Kent? Is it Maidstone? I say Maidstone, you say Jesus. Yeah, well, that, that, that very much <laughs> depends where you are in Kent. Okay. So. <laughs> well, depending on where you are in Kent, what do you think people are doing when they religiously gather at Maidstone football grounds or Gillingham football? What do you think they're doing? Or what do you think they're doing when they religiously get in their cars almost compulsory and get to blue water? That's this sort of, this thing that they have to fulfill. Man is a religious animal. You know, we want something to, to worship. That's what they're doing at Blue Water. That's what they're doing at the football ground. That's worship. And so if we begin from that uh, context that we are seeking something, then we've got to ask, what is it that is going to give us greatest fulfillment? And we know, you know, when our team scores, and I don't know whether I'm allowed to mention a particular team that I oh, have sure. loaned my support to in the past, um, but when they score, you feel elated and it's great. And then when they don't, when they lose, I've watched people getting up early and leaving the football ground because they're so upset that their team has lost and, and all of that happens. And so my thing is, if you try this one, you're not going to be um, deflated. <laughs> Constant high. <laughs> no losses. Yeah. No losses. <laughs> um, so, so I work from the pretext, or from that pretext, that that actually we all have a, 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 that religious thing where it's innate in us. We just express it in different ways. And, and coming from somebody who's, who's had a position in the political landscape, which can be uncommon for, for someone of, uh, in, in this sort of position, you were really close to 
things that are happening all the time. You know, the conversation around this uh, for the last three years has been like very specific political climate. The number of people I speak in different communities around the county, whether that's um, people who are homeless, whether that's um, people from um, the faith of Islam, there are the, the common thing that we're getting is that there is there's a lot of division in our communities at the moment. And yes. um, a lot of people will attribute that to the EU referendum and to Brexit and things like that. And, and they feel like mm -hmm. there are more divides than ever before in our communities. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there any way that, that we can bring those back together? And can the church in some way help to engender I that? Hope, I hope we can bring it back together again. And I hope the church can and will and has already, I think, in many ways, have been playing a role in that. I think, you know, that is a right description, that we have created a, a, a ginormous, um, uh, we've driven a, dry, a ginormous, is a horse and carriage, you say, through the lives of our community. What we have done inadvertently perhaps, I, you know, I'd like to say inadvertently because I wouldn't want to think that someone sat down and deliberately decided that this is what they were going to do, is that we have somehow created a them and us. Once we create a them and us, in order for that to grow legs and features, we have to make out that we are better than. And that's how we work around that sort of stuff. And that's highly damaging. That's highly damaging. And highly damaging in particular for a nation, and we are a nation that is not at peace with itself generally, because we don't quite know who we are. We've never really looked in the mirror and say, who are we as British people? and accepted the fact that we are not some sort of monochromed one blood. I don't know what this, you know, we are of the same blood. I don't know what that is, because underneath the paintwork is exactly the same thing. I recall my husband, who is a Geordie, when we lived in Jamaica, my friend's father needed blood transfusion, and my husband gave blood for him. So. This particular topic, in the last three years, sadly, we have fed a particular discourse that has been one of division. Um, instead of, here you are, here I am, we live in this um, geographical area. How can we better be acquainted? How can we love one another more? What can I give to you? What can you give to me? How can we help each other? How can we work together to ensure that this part of the world that has been bequeathed to us is cared for and the people are loved in it? We haven't done that. Instead, we have said, Oh, you are different because you speak a different language, or you are different because you wear different clothing. Um, and we've beaten up on each other. And we've seen the division within families, within communities. Um, we have demonized, we have, we have demonized whether they be a group because of faith. You know, with one swipe, we have said this because one person who 
is from this particular faith group have behaved in this way, you are all terrorists. You know, no, we never think, you know, if somebody British does something, we never hear that the British nation is a terrorist group. We don't, we don't do that. So the way we use language with each other is another thing that is fed into this kind of discourse. I think the church has a role, a responsibility of claiming the reality that we are one human race. Let's begin there, that we are one human race. If we're one human race, then the fact that you want to be able to feed your family, care for your family, the fact that you need a roof over your head, that you need the kind of wage that will enable you to modestly support. So I'm not asking for people to have Lamborghinis in their driveways or ridiculous things like that. I'm just asking about how can I support my family? You know, shouldn't poor people have uh, um, family life? So, you know, shouldn't you, for example, be able to have your grandma come and stay with you? Or grandparent have grandchildren come and stay? You know, um, and, and you see that we create policies that separates us. And all we can think of is, oh yes, you know, this is, I, I, you know, I like this political ideology. And do we ask, what does it mean for family life? What does it mean for community life? We don't ask those questions. No, and many people would argue, um and many people argue on both sides, but many people would argue that there was a historic win this week or last week in the election for a government who's had many policies about universal credit and policies that, that have divided people and have put threats on, on our National Health Service and things like that. So, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's, 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 it's about changing the way, we, the way we see ourselves and our identity, but also it's how we, how we see our governing bodies as well and how, and how we choose to be governed and how we vote to be governed. Yes, yes we live in a democracy and, uh, and that means we have a responsibility again about how we use that right. And, uh, and so, you know, we can only analyze after and maybe, you know, we have, we will now have five years of a new government. And I want people to be politically responsible. I, I don't want people just on the hoof when an election is called to start running around like headless chickens thinking, how am I going to vote? Or, or just go with the newest soundbite that sounds good. I want us throughout the years to be engaging politically. So right from the start, I want the people of God, the community, to be asking questions of their parliamentarians. Go and see them. Let them know they're interested in X or Y or Z. Ask questions of your local councillors and make sure that the policies that are being created are policies. So for example, it should not just be, and I think that's where we, we don't quite get it right, because what we're looking for is whether or not 
this puts more money in my pocket. And I think we should be asking the question about, if I live in this community, do I want to, every time I go out my door, see people on the street? And if the answer to that is no, then I must ask myself, what am I going to do about it? Everybody, what am I going to do? What can I do about it? The stresses and strain that are creating um, a, a pool, a larger pool of mental ill health. We've got to ask ourselves what is happening. And it's not just about the use of drugs or the, 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 you know, whether that be alcohol or whatever. It is also about the stresses and strain of life that is impacting. And so we've got to interrogate that. We've got to ask about that. You know, what is happening in my family? What are the pressure points? You know, how can we alleviate each other's? And then what is happening in the wider community? Do we care about our elderly neighbor who never sees anyone? You know, can we give up an hour of our time to go and sit and, and sit with, with them? You know, so we belong to one another. And the only way we're going to see that change if we start creating it and breaking down the them and us. What would your Christmas message be to the people of Kent, the communities of Kent? You know, um, we've already started singing Christmas carols. One of the, because we're still in Advent, one of the things, the songs that we sing is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And of course, Emmanuel means God with us. We sing beautiful carols away in a manger, O little town of Bethlehem. You know, it's all, it's nostalgic. It takes you back to a time. I think what I, my Christmas message would be, let us think about what we're singing. Do we really want the Christ child to come? And if we do, how are we going to make space in our homes, in our lives, for the Christ child to dwell and be among us? Because what he comes to bring is peace peace in our hearts, peace in our lives, in our community. We are those messengers of that peace. So when we sing those beautiful carols and Advent songs, we need to mean it or else we shouldn't be singing it. <coughs> and, and I think we need to ensure that the peace, goodwill, is not about going out and um, doing loads and loads of shopping, buying lots of expensive gifts and running into, into debt. But it's actually about the gift of time, the gift of time that we give to one another, you know, being interested in one another. Um, and, and that's what I, I hope my Christmas message 
will be about God came to live amongst us and within us so that we could truly know what it means to live with one another. And that also means not just the people who look like you, because it's very easy for us to find the people who are not very prickly. <laughs> um, it's, that's easy. But at Christmas time, we're being asked to go beyond the nice ones and just to reach out to those who life has dealt a bad card, as it were, and they're struggling. They're struggling with this, you know, what is this joy to the world? I have known joy. How might we share some of our joy with them, either by spending time with them, having a meal with them, or whatever? So peace, goodwill. But we cannot offer peace if we don't know the peace ourselves, if we don't have the peace. And uh, I'm reminded this, this wonderful story and imagery of the wise men following the star, the star stopping and shining brightly over the place where the Christ child was. That those of us who profess faith, I would encourage uh, to be that light and to let our light burn brightly so that others may just catch a glimpse of the glory of God as the shepherds did when they also went in search of what the angels sang. The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week.